Jesus can make a profound difference in your life. He has no doubt made a difference in the lives of many, many people. And in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul underscores the difference that Jesus makes in the lives of people. I want us to think for just a minute or two about, first of all, living without God. And really, to live without God is to live without Christ. For many of us, that would be hard to understand. Now, granted, there was a day, there was a time in our lives when we were living without God. We were living without Christ. But imagine if you can picture, if at all possible, what it means to live without the Lord in your life. I want to begin by saying that when we reach a certain age, we have choices to make. And we have the opportunity, the privilege to make the choice to either serve the Lord or to reject him. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. The promise being that he will give us rest. It's hard to understand why some people choose to reject or repudiate the overtures of the Lord. There are some folks, for whatever reason, they just choose not to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. It was said of Jesus that he came to his own and his own received him not. That is, he came to the Jewish people, his own people. And yet, they were not receptive to him. In John chapter 5, Jesus would say, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And he said, These are they that testify of me, but you will not come to me that you might have life. And so there were some in the first century that had the opportunity to see Jesus, to hear him, to, to witness the great miracles that he performed, and yet they chose not to believe him. They chose not to follow him. In John 12, 48, Jesus would say, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The words that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So we have the opportunity to decide to either follow him or live without him. So there are choices to be made. And we talk about the choice of living without God. But then what about the condition of a person who chooses to live without God? The Bible talks about some of, some of the things related to living a life without God. Let me just call some of those to mind. Back in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul would point out that a life without God is death. In other words, those who live without God, they are alive physically, but spiritually they are dead. And so he would say, and you has he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Ezekiel would say in chapter 18 at verse 4, the soul that sins it shall surely die. Paul said in Romans 6 verse 23, the wages of sin is death. And so literally those who choose to live without God, the condition of that individual, they are for all intents and purposes a walking corpse. They're alive but they're dead. They're dead but they're alive. And then secondly, it's a life of disobedience. In verse 2, Paul would say, among whom you also walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. And the idea is that here is somebody who is living a disobedient life. They're living a life that is contrary to the will of God and to the way of Almighty God. Jesus emphasized the importance of obeying him. Over and over again in the gospel record, we find Jesus talking about the importance of doing the Father's will. And Ephesians 2.2, when Paul talks about those who walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the idea is that they are living under the direction of the devil. In other words, he is the one who is reigning or ruling their lives. They're living in defiance, in disobedience to Almighty God. And then there is a third thing that I would point out, and that is it is a life of despair. Pick up with me, if you would, in verse 11 of Ephesians 2. Paul here, of course, is talking about the state of the Gentile world and God's plan from the very beginning of time or really prior to the foundation of the world was to save both Jew and Gentile in Christ. And he makes that abundantly clear in chapter 3. But he talks about the Gentile state beginning in verse 11. Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Now listen to him. Having no hope. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation in life where it looked hopeless? And really I would add to that hopeless feeling, a helpless feeling. As I was thinking about this particular point, the events of 9-11 came to mind. I remember watching the television on the day of 9-11. And as I watched helplessly those people in the Twin Towers, it, it was a helpless, hopeless feeling. Do you remember the smoke gushing, billowing out of the buildings? Tower 1 fell, and then a little bit later, Tower 2 fell. One of the images that was burned in my mind, and probably burned in your mind as well, was that of those individuals, some on the rooftop, others hanging out the windows, and some plummeting to their death. Why? Hopeless. They had no hope. Can you imagine living without hope spiritually? Paul here is picturing the state of somebody who's without hope. And then not only is it a life of despair, it's a life of destitution. Listen to what he says. He says, having no hope and without God in the world. When Paul uses the expression without God, it's really one word in the original language. And what it designates is the word atheos, an atheist. Now somebody says, I believe in God. I believe in the one true living God. I believe there is a God. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Just because I've never obeyed him doesn't mean I don't believe in him. That's true. But I think the point is you're living as if there is no God because he's not God in your life. You are living without hope and without God in this life. Now put the two together. You're living, but you don't have any hope and you don't have God in your life. Why is that such a destitute state? Well, let me just give you some reasons. Number one, if God's not in your life, how do you handle sickness? How do you handle sorrow? How do you handle sadness? I mean, if God is not a part of your life, you don't have God in times of sickness, you don't have God in times of sorrow. You don't have God in times of sadness. You don't have God for support. Do you remember what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 13 about those who would live a life of belief? God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. He asked the question, what shall man do to me? Those who are without, without hope and without God, they don't have him. In times of sickness, sorrow, sadness, they don't have him as a support. And then what about separation? That is, what about when we come to the end of life here on planet Earth? There are some folks, they give no thought to death. And yet the Bible says, it is appointed unto man once to die. After this cometh the judgment. I remember many years ago hearing a story about the late Charles Coyle. And Brother Coyle was a great evangelist, held meetings all over the country, I guess. And for many years, he was the head of what was known as International Bible College. And Brother Coyle was out knocking doors on one occasion. He came to somebody's home, and he tried to talk to them about the Lord. And they told him, this person told him that he or she wasn't interested at that point in time. And so Brother Coyle as he was leaving, stopped and turned back and said to the person, you know what, one day you're going to cross Jordan. That is, you're going to die, and you need to think about that. Let me tell you what, if you're not a child of God, you don't have any hope because you don't have God. And when you step out into eternity, you want to talk about a hopeless, helpless feeling? You've never been in a situation as hopeless and helpless as that will be. Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 pictures the unrighteous going away into everlasting fire. It's forever. No changing our state. No coming back. When it's over, it's over. Now, what about living with God? What about living for God? What about a life with Jesus? I said a moment ago that Jesus is the difference. Now, we talk about people that live without God, but what about living with God? Now, in verse 13, Paul is going to pick up on this idea of what it means to have the Lord in our lives. We talk about the state of the Gentile world, and of course they had become the recipients of God's blessings. God had decreed in the long ago to save both men and women in Christ 
both Jew and Gentile, in Christ. So what is it that makes the difference? Well, it's Jesus. So having said that, let me talk for just a minute about the pardon that we have in Jesus. Look again at verse, pick up in verse 11 again. Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, but at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, present state, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off are made near, brought nigh by the blood of Christ. Let me begin by saying that Jesus has saved us by his blood. We are the recipients of his death on Calvary. When Jesus went to Calvary, he did so with the intent of shedding his blood so that our sins might be forgiven. We sing the song, what can wash away my sins? And the answer, nothing but the blood of Christ. Listen again to Paul. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ changes everything. When we, when we obey the gospel, that is when we come to Jesus Christ, believing that he is the son of God. Somebody says, what do I need to do to become a New Testament Christian? What's the Bible teach? The Bible says, first of all, we have to believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. And then we have to repent of every sin. Jesus said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. The Bible then says that those who believe and willingly repent of sins are more than happy to confess the name of Jesus before others. Like the eunuch in the long ago when he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in Acts 8, verse 37. And then we are immersed in a watery grave of baptism. It is a believer's baptism. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's why we don't baptize infants. That's why we don't baptize babies. Because we understand that we have to put our faith and trust in Jesus. And then there is this repentance or the turning away, of sin, turning away from sin. And then we're baptized into Christ and we become the recipients of all the spiritual blessings that are spoken of in Scripture, according to Ephesians 1.3. Now, Paul said it's in that state that we enjoy redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Because of God's grace, he sent his son to die for our sins. God, in his grace, reached out to the human family and did for us what we were unable to do for ourselves. What was that? Save us. From what? From sin. No wonder Paul would say in Ephesians 1, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. So it's in Christ that we enjoy forgiveness. Jesus has saved us by his blood. And then secondly, Jesus has saved us in his body. Drop down and look at verse 16. The Bible says that he might reconcile them both, that is Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Now Paul would say in Colossians 1.20 that Jesus has made peace for us through the blood of his cross. 
So we enjoy the benefits of the blood of Jesus and then we become a part of the body of Jesus. It's called the church. Colossians 1.18, he is the head of the body of the church. When you obey the gospel, God adds you to that divine body. Now in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul points out that God's design was to save both Jew and Gentile, that the Gentiles might be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. God had made a promise to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 at verse 3 that it would be through his lineage that all nations of the earth would be blessed. That promise was fulfilled in Jesus. And both Jews and Gentiles are the recipients of that promise made today nearly 4,000 years ago. And so, we are saved by Jesus. Yes, by what? By his blood. Jesus not only saved us by his blood, but he saves us in his body. That's why when you obey the gospel, God adds you to the ecclesia, what's called the community of the saved. It's the church. Sometimes people say, well, I want to have a relationship with Jesus, but I really don't, I don't want to be affiliated with any kind of church. Well, that's odd. Because Paul said in Ephesians 5.23, Jesus is the Savior of the body. What body? The church. He put all things in subjection under his feet, made him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Somebody says, well, how many bodies are there? Ephesians 4, 4, there's one body and one spirit, even as you're called and one hope of your calling. So when we're baptized into Christ, we enjoy redemption and reconciliation. Where does reconciliation take place? In the body, in the church? You see, prior to obeying the gospel, we're without hope. We're without God in the world. We are alienated, estranged from God, and yet in Christ, we now have fellowship. There's a second thing I want you to see. Not only do we have pardon in Jesus, but we have peace through Jesus. Look at verse 14. In verse 14, Paul said, and he's talking here about the man of peace. Jesus is the man of peace. Listen to him. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division or petition between us. Jesus Christ is the man of peace. Isaiah, and Isaiah wrote about 750 years before Jesus ever came to earth. Isaiah said he should be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Do you remember when Jesus was born? Do you remember what Luke's account said about Jesus in chapter 2? About that heavenly host that appeared and they said glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward man. Jesus came to bring peace to the human family. Jesus can give you peace. Paul said, for he himself is our peace. Now not only do we read about the man of peace, but the message of peace. Look, if you would, at verse 17. Verse 17, Paul said, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. Jesus came presenting a message of peace. We talk today to people whose lives have been disrupted by sin, whose lives are, are literally coming apart at the seams, and we say, look, 
Obey the gospel, live for the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will have the peace that passes all understanding. Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. To know that I have peace with God. Now, think about the Jews and the Gentiles. There was hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. In, in John chapter 4, we read about the hostility that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. And yet, in Christ, the idea is that there is peace. Not just between people, but peace between people and their God. We enjoy peace with our Maker. To know that we have embraced a message of peace. And to know that we enjoy all the benefits and blessings of being a child of God. There's a third thing I would call attention to. And it has to do with the provisions that we enjoy in Christ. First of all, let me suggest that we enjoy fellowship with God the Father. Listen to what Paul says in verse 18. For through him, that is through Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. To know that we are a part of fellowship. And the fellowship encompasses a relationship with God the Father. Jesus Christ is the one that has made fellowship with God possible. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14 verse 6? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. To know that I can have fellowship with God the Father through Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives me access to the Father. He is the one that makes it possible for me to have fellowship with Almighty God. And then there is fellowship in the family of God. Drop down and look at, look at verse 19 for just a moment. In verse 19, Paul said, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. Now think about those of, Gentile, of a Gentile background. He said, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. But listen to him. He said, you are now fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. In other words, you belong to the divine family of Almighty God. You are, you are a fellow citizen in the kingdom of God. Paul talks about how our citizenship is in heaven, whence also we wait for a Savior. The Bible talks about how we enjoy a broad fellowship in the sense that we belong to a family. It's called the family of God. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he said, But if I tarry long that you may know how to behave yourself in the house of God, in the church of the living God. If you're a Christian, you belong to the house of God. You are a part of the household of God. When I think about what it means to be a child of God. One of the encouraging things to me is to know that I am a part of a larger family. I will grant that I have a family that's composed of a mother, a father, brothers, aunts, uncles, etc. But I'm talking about being a part of God's family. 
In 1 John chapter 3, John said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God or the children of God. I'm a part of his family. And I have all of the blessings and favors that are in that family relationship. And we talk about family relations and sometimes as children or grandchildren, we receive an inheritance at the death of our parents or grandparents. Well, the Bible says that as a child of God, as a part of the family of God, we have an inheritance. And it is incorruptible, it's undefiled, it fades not away, and Peter said it's reserved in heaven for you. That's what it means to belong to the family of God and to have fellowship with God. And so, in closing today, I would ask the question, are you in Christ? Are you living with Christ? Are you living with God? Or are you living without Christ? Are you living without God? A life without God ends in death, spiritual death. A life in Christ ends in eternal life. If you're here today and you're not a child of God, I would encourage you, come to Christ. Do what they did on Pentecost Day. On Pentecost Day, Peter said it as concisely as could be said. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And the promise is, God will add you to the church when you do that. Acts 2, verse 38 and verse 47. You'll enjoy all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, Ephesians 1, 3. And you will live in hope of life eternal which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ as God's family, could we pray with you and for you? When you hurt, we hurt. When you have needs, we want to reach out and help you. Whatever your need may be at this hour, we ask you to come as we stand and sing.